Okay, before I begin, I'm going to do something that I normally don't do in a sermon, but I think it would be good, given the nature of this prayer series, is to actually do a book review. Um, I've been reading uh, a book that's quite old, though it's been nearly, uh, nearly published, called Praying with Paul. It's actually Don Carson's old book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Uh, I read through this whole book as I've been preparing this series on prayer. Can I just say, just going through this series personally for me, thinking about prayer and thinking about what uh, Don Carson has to say on prayer, it has been a great joy and a great reflection to do this, to think about God. And I would really, really, really commend this book to you, Praying with Paul. It is such a good book. He actually encourages, I'm going to bring out a story today in the sermon that he brings up, but he actually encourages and has put together all of Paul, Paul's prayers in one section and encourages everybody to read them once a month to think about prayer. Wonderful book. Uh, if you've got a chance, get it, read it. Uh, it will enhance your spiritual life and growth in the Lord. So can't recommend that highly enough. Anyway, let's pray and get beginning. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word this morning. We pray, Father, if we look at how to pray, help us to understand uh, that prayer is not just what we say, not just the words we say, but it really is a a sharpening and a reflection of our heart and our attitudes. We pray, Father, that you will change our heart and our attitudes this morning. Help us to reflect Christ's heart for the world and Christ's attitude towards the world and that as we actually uh, come to you in dependence and love that we will do so trusting in your son and what he has done for us and knowing that you hear us because of his great work for us and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Have you ever done something that when you did it you were not looking forward to doing it but when it actually happened it was far more enjoyable than you expected. Have you ever had that, op- had that experience? I actually had it twice this week. On Monday, uh, I was pretty flat. I'm usually pretty flat after preaching. I was feeling really flat. And so um, my wife comes in on Monday morning. It was a public holiday, as I remember. Uh, it was a public holiday. And she said, uh, the kids want to go... To the water, uh, to the water slides over at Fairfield. Do you want to come? And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. There's no way I really feel like going. But I said, I'll come. And she said, no, we can do it another day. And I said, look, I'm not going to do much today. Let's just go. So we went online. We got the tickets. We all piled into the car and that was the first mistake. Because we get into the car and the kids were just so excited. They were like, ah! And it felt like 40 minutes of screaming actually happened between Campbelltown and Fairfield. And I'm just holding on to the steering wheel and I'm just going, oh, make this nightmare end. Uh, they just did not stop for 40 minutes. They were really excited. Um, and so we went along and we got to, we got to the water park and there was so many people there, but luckily because we got our tickets online, we went up to the front and even then there was all these problems. We got down to, into the water park, we found a place where we could sit and I just sat down. I didn't want to do a thing. The kids all ran off and then my eldest son 
comes, oh, there's not much to do, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, come and have a chat. And so we chatted. Then my second son came and he said, Dad, I'm scared to go on the water slide. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I get up and I go up onto the water slide, take my son up onto the water slide and went down. And from that point on, the day was so much better. It was just an awesome, awesome day. And my kids from the rest of the day kept on going, Dad, can we do this? Yeah, it'll be great. Come on. And then we'd go off and do that. My daughter said, Dad, I just want to go for a swim. Come for a swim in the pool. We'd be sure. Off we jumped into the water and we went for a swim. And for four hours, we are at the water park or for however long we were there. And I've got to be honest, it was just a great time. I went home, we got in the car, went home, and I went straight to bed. I was so tired. But it was a really good time. It was better than I expected. And as I had been there, my attitude had changed. I had really enjoyed, not so much the water slides, I had really enjoyed the time with the family. So came the second thing that I happened this week. On Friday, my wife said to me, your daughter has been promised by you that you would take a roller skating. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, okay, I said it, I'll do it. So off again, bowl into the car, down to the roller skating rink, and we get on the roller skates and I'm just like, I'm going to die. <laughs> so off we go and I went, this is not working. So I went back. And I went and got rollerblades, I put on the rollerblades, and within about 20 minutes, actually, I got, I found my feet, and I was zipping around the, the roller ring, to the point my kids all went down and sat down and got some food, and then it was just my wife and I roller skating around by ourselves. We were having such a lovely time. Again, my attitude before had going in was, oh gosh, do I have to? But once I had done it, And once I'd spent some time doing it, I found myself really enjoying it. I found myself really enjoying the relationships and the time I was spending in relationships with my family. It was this great period where I was with my two, uh, my wife on my left and my daughter on my right, and we're just rolling around the roller rink. And I'm just going, this is such a good time. I cannot believe I was trying to avoid doing this. What does this have to do with prayer, you might ask? The the reason this has to do with prayer is my prayer life is often like my attitude before doing those things. Do I have to? Do I really have to do this? Why would I want to do this? This seems hard and it's just, oh gosh, do I have to? But once I start praying, I have always found that actually I enjoy Actually, when I sit down and actually pray, not God, can you just look after Trudy today, get the kids? No, when I actually sit down and think about my prayer life and think about what I'm praying for people, I find that it is a great time of shaping my heart, but also a great time of spending relationship with our Father. That the that the thing that has changed in prayer life is actually my attitude towards people, but also towards God. And I always came away feeling better through the experience. As Over these three weeks, and it has been a great privilege to be here with you these three weeks, we've looked at prayer and we've looked at it through three simple topics. Who do we pray to? God. 
Why do we pray to God? Because he is sovereign and he is powerful and he is able to answer our prayers, which really led to why we pray. Because he is powerful, because he is sovereign, we are dependent upon him. We need him and we need to actually depend upon him for all things. And so we ask God to provide those things. And this morning what we're going to be looking at is how we should pray. And when you first read that question or you might think about that question, you'll be thinking, okay, how should I pray? What words should I use? What, you know, is there a magic door or magic set of words to use so as to unlock the gates of heaven and pour down blessings upon my life? But as I've looked at this question, I've come to realise it's not so much about the words we say. They are important and there is important things to say. But actually, it's really about our heart and our attitude. That prayer is really about the way we are actually approaching God and about our reliance and dependence upon him. That as we look at this morning, what we're really going to see is that what we need to do when we come to prayer is actually shape and change our hearts and actually prepare them to actually come before our God. So, looking at what we should be praying and how we should be praying. We, really, the truth is we should be praying, and this is what Jesus does, is we should be praying for the kingdom. It is interesting when the uh, disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, that Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, I remember when I first heard the Lord's Care, I remember being in the car, and my father had decided to go to church, and mum, who had some familiarity with church, she actually said, oh, well, if we're going to go to church, we, you should all learn the Lord's Prayer. And I'd never heard it. So I was, I think, 12 or 13 at the time, and I'd never heard the Lord's Prayer. And there was my mum teaching us this little prayer, and we learned all these nice things about forgiveness and um, God giving us bread because we'd be hungry and all these really good things. And as I listened to the prayer, it really didn't have much impact on me. But as I've come through life and actually if I looked at the prayer, I've come to realise that the prayer is really, really uh, quite, or has a quite a great deal of depth to it. It's, it does say some good things. It does teach us forgiveness and it does teach us dependence. But it also has a structure that can be used as a framework for a prayer. And that framework serves the kingdom of God. And this is what we read. And if you, if you want to open up and look at it, it's in Matthew chapter 6, but I'm just going to read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I have done a sermon series on this prayer alone and what it is actually saying. But in essence, when you look at the prayer, what is it really asking for? It is asking for the kingdom to come. It is asking for God's rule to be extended throughout all the earth. By stating those simple words, what Jesus is actually acknowledging is that God's kingdom is not in this world in terms of reigning everywhere. That when you look at the world, a lot of people are not accepting the rule of Jesus. Now, Jesus is in control of all things. But not all people accept that rule. Not all people actually bow the knee to it. And what the prayer is asking is that God's rule will be seen, will be made manifest 
in all the world, that all people will come to trust in Jesus, that all people will bow the knee to him. And it gives the great means through which that rule is extended. And it's simply this, forgiveness. It is the forgiveness. The gospel message, and I say it every week, and I know it's preached here every week, but it is just so fundamental to the Christian life is the forgiveness we have in Christ. You see it in those simple words, and forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. God wants us to actually understand that we are forgiven people and that the spreading of his kingdom doesn't come through by the sword or through strength or through power. It comes through the sacrificial death of his son who forgives our sins. And it is that sacrificial death that spreads the forgiveness of sins. It is that sacrificial death that actually spreads the kingdom of God. And as that kingdom reigns, as people actually see and come to know God through the forgiveness he offers, they'll come to actually understand what it means to submit to his rule and to love his rule. It's about bringing people to know the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. And we should be actually praying that people will come to know the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. Who are you praying for? Seriously, who are you praying for? Are you praying for your colleagues? Are you praying for your families? Are you praying for your friends, your children, your grandchildren? I know and I have met some of you that most certainly are. Keep praying for them. Keep going. There is always hope. doesn't matter what you might think is going on in their lives. People you meet, you only ever see a small aspect of what's going on. You don't know what God is doing in people's hearts and minds. Keep praying for them. We might be thinking this world is slipping away from God, but the truth is this world is no further away from God than it has ever been. It's just manifesting different forms of its own sinful rejection. You don't know what God is doing in people's lives. You don't know how God is being shaping people. So my encouragement to you is to keep praying for those people. Know some people who you hope will come to know Christ that don't at this time and be in prayer for them. I know one person that... For years, he's a staunch atheist, and I keep praying for him. And I've seen changes. Is God going to bring him to know Christ? I don't know. But I keep praying because I want to see God's kingdom come into his life. And it's been tough at some times. He said some really harsh and rude things to me. It doesn't matter. Keep praying. And with that, seeing that this the kingdom go out, be praying for people to see the kingdom go out, also be praying that God will raise up workers for the harvest. Raise up, that God will raise up people who will go out and preach and teach the gospel to people. This is what Jesus said. 
Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know up the top of the hill when you come over Raby Road, you drive through Raby. I know it's all different now because you've got all the new uh, in all the new housing just at the start at Camden Valley Way. But I remember for years I'd drive through that area, especially even I remember when it was a dirt road, uh, drive through Raby Road and I get to the top of the hill that overlooks just before you come down into all the housing. And every time I'd look at that housing, all I would see is just roofs and roofs of people. And I would think of church and I'd think, gosh, there's so few people in church and look at all these houses. Look at all these people. Will they actually hear the news of the kingdom of God? Will they actually hear of Jesus? We live in a rich well, a rich country, but I would say a rich harvest field. There is so many people here that don't know about Jesus. Are we praying that God will raise up workers for the harvest? Are we praying that God will send people out into the local Ingleburn community or into Minto or Glen Quarry? Are we praying that God will raise up people to actually go out and send the, preach the gospel? See, if the kingdom is your focus and seeing the kingdom of God spread within this community, is that your focus of your prayers? Is that what you're praying for? Or are you praying that uh, you meet the mortgage payment? Which you should, nothing wrong with that. But is that where you stop? Are you praying that your kids will have a good time or your grandkids will have a good time at school? Nothing wrong with that and you should be praying for that. But is that where your prayers stop? See, what we want to see is actually the kingdom go forward. What we want to see is people's lives changed by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. If that is our attitude, if that is what we want out of life, is that in our prayers? The truth of the matter is what you're praying tells you what is important to you. Are you praying for the kingdom? Seriously. I can't sit here and judge you. I'm not going to judge you because I don't know what you're praying for. That is between you and God. The question you need to ask yourselves And the question I'm asking you, not because I want to be rude to you, not because I want to make you feel guilty, but because I want you to examine your own hearts. What is it you are praying for? You're not going to tell me, I hope you don't tell me, don't tell Joe or don't tell Dave because this is between you and God. What are you praying for? Because what you're praying for is telling you what is important in your heart. What matters to you. 
And the, the real thing is, in terms of prayer, what we've got to realise, especially if we're praying for the kingdom, is it can be tough. There is a story in Don Carson's book, and he talks about his own father. And his own father was in a small French uh, community in Canada. And they, he was in a church, and the church was struggling, and it was small all his life. And what Don Carson remembers of his father was his prayer life. And what he would see is his dad praying year in and year out, and not much happened. And for years he prayed, and prayed for the church, and struggled with the church. It was only at the end of Don Carson's father's life that he started to see much fruit and much growth for them uh, in the area and in the community. For years, nothing had happened. Then all of, a, all of a sudden, God brought much fruit. What we want to see, because we are generally, and I'm going to say, I say we, but I mean me, I can be quite impatient. God, I'm praying this, where is the answer to my prayer? Why haven't you given me what I want? I'm praying the things you're asking for. I'm praying for the kingdom and it's not happening. God, why aren't you giving me what I want? And this is the reality of my heart. My heart says, God, do what I want. Not God, teach me to rely and depend upon you. See, when we're praying for the world, we need to be actually praying knowing that it is God who is sovereign. God who is in trust, we trust. But Paul tells us to be praying for the world. We read in uh, 1 Timothy, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to, uh, who has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. Paul is saying here in our prayers, we need to be praying for all people. Now, what Paul is actually meaning in terms of all people is he means all types, all the nations. doesn't matter where you are, be in prayer for them. That's what Paul wants. He wants us to be in prayer for people, to be in prayer for the kings, those in authority over us. Why? So that we can lead godly and quiet lives and go about our business, preach the gospel and actually see other people come into the kingdom. He's actually praying that we'd actually have peace in the land so we could preach the gospel. Are we praying for peace so we can preach the gospel? Are we praying for those in authority over us? Are we praying for Gladys Berejiklian? I'm glad I can say the name. <laughs> Are we praying for Scott Morrison? Are we praying for Alban Anthony Albanese? Are we praying for those in authority over us that we might lead godly and quiet lives, go about our business and see the kingdom gone? 
See, what Paul wants, and this is the way he's focusing his prayers, is that our prayers need to be shaped towards seeing people come into the kingdom. Life is so short. I always say to the students on campus, um, you've got to look at life like this. The most important day in your life is the day you die. You have 70, 80 years here, and then you've got all eternity after. You are not going to be worried in the kingdom to come about what you did or didn't have in these 70, 80 years. That is not going to be a concern in the post the consummation of Christ's kingdom. What you're going to think about and what you ought to care about are those who are going to be on the other side of Christ's return. So we get so focused in this short period of time because this is the only time we've known that we lose sight of the eternity to come. That is, the, that is where you're going. That is your home. That is the direction. We are refugees. We are exiles in a short span of time. We are wandering through the wilderness, waiting for the promised land, eternal life of our Lord and Saviour. Are we so focused on these 80 years that all we're praying for is our material needs to be met? Now, I'm not saying it is wrong to pray for those things. It is not, and you should. But the reality is, if God, who is so rich in mercy, if God, who has loved us so much that he has sent his son to die for us, if God has given us Jesus that we might have life in eternity with him. Do you think he's not going to worry about whether you have enough food on the table or the house is not going to be over your head? Not saying praying for those things is is wrong. It is not. It is a good thing because it acknowledges your dependence. But the reality is your real home is post this world. Your real home is with Christ in heaven. And the question is, are you praying for that as fervently as you're praying for those things now and today? As we look at prayer, as we think about prayer, and we think about the ways we pray, we can think, well... God, why haven't you answered my prayers? And I have been in times where I have actually been praying, God, why aren't you meeting my needs? The truth is, and I've said this, you might have heard this story before, but I've said this, we were once in this time at the campus, the, debt, the campus had a ministry debt of $45,000. And I'm out there preaching the gospel and I'm saying to God, God, why won't you meet this need? Why won't you actually provide for the ministry? We're seeing all these people come to know Christian. We're seeing all these people come along to the ministry, yet the ministry is so uh, underfunded that we're probably going to have to fold. And I remember 
and just being so frustrated with God and so frustrated at the situation. And I was angry. I was like, God, why won't you give me what I need? And I remember my wife came in and she said, Adam, just pray. And so I did. I just prayed. I prayed in my anger and I was pretty much yelling at God. God, why don't you give me what I need? And I remember praying and nothing happened for two weeks. But here was the thing that did happen. I knew from that point it would be okay. I knew that God would provide for the needs. And he did. It didn't happen. There wasn't, uh, I didn't have a, you know, an Uncle Moneybucks ring me up and say, here's $45,000 to cover your debt. Didn't happen. It took two years of prayer and dependence. But God supplied our needs. And, but most of all, what he did is he taught me at that time I needed to depend upon him. I needed to trust him, which really leads us to the question, well, what if God doesn't answer our prayers? What if God is not actually doing as we'd expect? And I can only bring up one great example of the greatest unanswered prayer I know, and that's Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what Jesus said to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane? If you are able, please take this cup from me. And what was, what was the father's answer? The soldiers came and took him away. See, God doesn't give us always what we want. God doesn't fulfil our every desire. God is working out his plans and his purposes for his kingdom and for his hopes. God wants you to learn to trust on his strength and not on your own strength. And if God is not answering prayers, what he wants us to actually understand as we pray is to look into our own hearts. And it was interesting that Joe read from James, because I'm going to read a section from James. And this is what God says in James. What causes fights and quarrels amongst, among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Here is one of the real issues we have with prayer. God can you fulfill this desire? God, can you do this for me? And the, answer, the reason we're asking is because we want to fill our desires. God, you must do what I want. Remember what I said about who God is? He is sovereign. Remember what we spoke about God's holiness? We need to approach our God with reverence, fear and wonder. He's the one who's in control, not you. He's the one who decides how to answer your prayers. And sometimes he can say no. But he never says no because he doesn't like us. He never says no because he's against us. He says no because he is for us. He says no sometimes because he knows really what's going on in our hearts. 
We want God to do what we want. God wants to do what he is doing for the sake of his kingdom. And he wants to change your hearts to want what he desires. And when you pray, you've got to be careful because sometimes God might give it to you and often in a way you don't expect. I remember a church. I won't name this church. I remember a church and what they had prayed for for years and years was that children would come to their church. The church was dying, they knew it, so they were praying for kids to come. God brought, I think it was about a group of 10 teenagers, to their front door and said, here are kids. But the church chased them away. Why? Because these kids were coming into the church and riding their bikes around the church grounds. And they were inviting them in, but they weren't actually doing anything. Actually, a lot of the parishioners said, well, they're not the type of kids we want. We want kids who will come in and actually sit down and read the Bible. These kids are just riding their bikes around out on the graveyard. And, well, you know, they're obviously not who God sent to us. That church was, is now gone. When we pray, we've got to be watching out for how God answers our prayers. I know personally, and you know, I, I can't explain all the stories, but I know personally God has very, very, very rarely answered prayers the way I expected. Very rarely. And when he has prayed, uh, when he has answered, nearly every time that it has been to, well, Every time that I'm aware of, it has been to my benefit so that I would grow and know him better. When we pray, we've got to pray with our hearts, actually realising that and soft to actually how God will answer. God does generally, I won't say never answers the way, but God generally doesn't answer the way we expect. Because the truth is, our hearts are always caught up with these wrongful desires and God wants to change our hearts and our minds to be conformed with Christ. And so, two final things I want to say about prayer. Here's what you've got to do when you're praying. Be persistent in your prayer. Be like a warrior in prayer. Actually keep going in your prayer. You see in Ephesians, Paul talks about the Christian life as one as a warrior. Well, the truth is your prayer life needs to be one as like a prayer warrior. What are the weapons of the Christian? They are the word of God and prayer. Be powerful in prayer. Do not stop. And then, which I didn't read out, but this is really something also Paul says in Timothy. And this is actually really about hearts. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. There's very few commands that are specific to men in the Bible, but the one in 1 Timothy is specific to men. He is telling men to pray. And this is not saying anything to, against women or uh, to disparage women's prayer, but men, are you praying? I think men have a particular issue with prayer and that is we tend not to be want to be dependent. And what Paul is saying here is men be prayerful. Men pray with holy hands is the word. Hands that are unblemished. Hands that are open. 
and dependent? Are you praying men? Are you asking God to work in your lives? Are you praying for your wives? Are you praying for your daughters? Are you praying for your Christian sisters? Be in prayer, men. And when we pray, we pray finally in hope. And this is my last passage that I want to bring up. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have deliberately left this passage about prayer to the end because this is the quintessential passage on prayer in the Bible. And I've left it to the end because not only does it tell us to pray and tell us to pray incessantly, it tells us to pray with a joyful heart, but actually it tells us the answer to prayer. I remember when I first read this prayer and I first came to understood that actually this is the answer to prayer, that I was really, really uh, despondent. I thought, what? And it actually comes out at the end. And it's that, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is the answer to prayer. And I thought, well, that's pretty pathetic. (laughs) If I'm asking for a million dollars, how's the peace of God which transcends all hearts and minds a million dollars? That's not what I've asked for. Until I actually understand, until I came to understand that actually that is the most precious gift of all. And what it is actually saying is simply this. When you ask for something and when you pray for something and you sincerely pray for it, God will grant it on the basis that he will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, the most important thing to God is this, that you know and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you pray for your house, when you pray for your job, when you pray for car, whatever you pray for, whatever you pray for, feel free to pray and do pray for it. But know that this is the answer, that God will give you what you need in line and will fulfill your prayer in line with guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is the answer to prayer. And when I finally understood that, I realised that that was the most precious gift of all. When we're praying, are we praying realising that is the most precious gift of all? Are we realising that is the way God is going to answer our prayers? That what God is going to do is guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it has been a great privilege to come and spend these three weeks with you. It really has. And it has been a great week to be praying for you and it's been a great privilege to be praying for... Uh, for this church these last few weeks and to be in prayer for you 
as I've actually been praying through this series to actually guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But as I go away and as I leave uh, possibly this area, but certainly the ministry, this is my prayer and my hope for you, that you will grow up to know and to love and to serve Lord Jesus. That in all that you do, that you'll continue to grow in him, in his strength, that in your prayers, as you ask God to fulfil your crest, ask away. But know that the answer is that God is going to answer all your prayers in such a way that your hearts and your minds will be changed and shaped to fulfil his desire. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He is going to fulfil your needs. But do you still see... Your greatest need is to continue to continually grow in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus who died in our place for our sin. We know, Father, that we are people who often bring our desires to you, not really realising that still our greatest need is to grow in Christ. We pray, Father, that as we ask of you all our requests, we know, Father, that you will answer our requests as we need them. Help us not to be selfish people. Help us to be generous people. But we pray most of all, Father, help us to be humble people, faithfully and trustfully depending upon Christ and what he has done so that we might live with him forever and ever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Joe.